This, is, uh, this week has been preparing for today's message. It was a bit of a challenge. I'll just tell you that right up front. It was a little bit of a challenge to come up with it. Uh, part of me thought of doing a, a Thanksgiving message, and as I was praying about it, um, God didn't give me a Thanksgiving message. I, was, I just wrestled with that, and um, kind of in between as we're getting ready for Advent season, and had already planned on doing Advent messages, so next week we'll start. Uh, next Sunday will be Advent, and we'll be lighting a candle and adding that element into it. Um, and so it's kind of an in-between week. But God knew that um, what we need this morning, so I'm going to trust that. Um, we're going to continue on in Mark. If you were with us last week, I had used the message in Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 2, and so we're going to head there again this week and finish up chapter 2 and then actually get into chapter 3 a little bit um, as part of the theme. The mission, um, Mark, as you know, was John Mark was one of the the, the, the missionaries that Paul took with him. And as we read in, later on in the New Testament, Mark um, left Paul. In fact, that caused a hardship. You know, Paul questioned his, his spirituality from that point, really questioned him as someone who was faithful. But later on, Paul restores him because he does show to be faithful. And uh, Mark was not there. He's not one of the original disciples so, uh, or the apostles as you're looking through. And so uh, we don't have him being an eyewitness, but we have him talking to an eyewitness. Most of Mark's writings are from Peter. And so he does have that firsthand experience through Peter as he puts down the gospel. And again, we have the, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all a little bit different, but they kind of round out and complete the story. But they all also have a different purpose in mind. Their audiences are different. They're coming at it from different backgrounds, and so they compile them. And Mark is one of those Gospels that's very concise. It's very bottom-lined. You that know me know how much I love bottom-line, right? You know, the details, I get lost in them, and I, I get all sorts of, you know, messed up with a lot of details. Um, I joke, and PJ's not here right now, I can say that. Sometimes when she's telling me a story, I'm having a hard time. I have to really focus on paying attention because I just want to get to the end of the story. And she's telling me the colors and the, the pretty and the, all those little details and the emotions that go behind it. And I'm like, oh, I'll just get to the bottom line so I don't lose track of what it is that you want me to do. But details are important as well. But Mark's not that way. Mark writes very concisely, and so that's what we have as we look through today. And we have this period that Mark is showing us that Jesus um, has gathered his disciples right at that beginning of his ministry, and early on, he's under attack. He's under attack from the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, and, and some of the rules of the church or the synagogue at that point, and they're criticizing him, and they're following him around just waiting for him to mess up. That's a hard place to be, Right? You know, when people watch you intensely and keep an eye on you, you know what? It doesn't take long, usually, at least in my day, it doesn't take me long to mess up, right? When you're under that microscope. But in Jesus' case, he doesn't mess up. But according to them, he does. And that's the struggle, and that's what we're looking at this morning, just one of those many instances where they think they've got him. They think they've seen where he's tripped up. And yet Jesus is teaching a lesson through it. I mentioned last week also that Mark quotes Jesus' teachings and he uses parables, but he, Jesus is able to teach on a wide level or variety of people. 
simple folks in the field, agricultural, all the way up to the religious rulers, the, the scholarly of the day. And he does a great job of that. And so uh, in that saying, I'm going to kind of jump in here into the story a little bit, again, as we have here in Scripture. So if you're joining with me, and the guys are pretty good, they have it up there for us on verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields as his disciples walked along, and they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing that? It is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the day of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. All right, so Jesus, again, he's walking along. He's, he's been teaching. They're, they're traveling. The disciples are spending day after day with them. And they're just happy walking to the field, and there's some grain. And so the, the disciples just kind of sift some through their hands and crack it in their hands and eat a few, right? Now, if you're hungry and you have food in front of you, that's pretty normal, right? A packing lunch reaction. Remember, his disciples have left everything. They're not packing lunches. They're, they're walking along, and they're hungry, and so they just eat. And again, it's on the Sabbath. And the law strictly forbid working on the Sabbath. Right? We generally take Sunday off. We, we don't work, most of us. You know, some of us have, have jobs where we do work on Sunday, but most of the time we take it off. And again, if you follow the law to the strictest, you don't work on Sunday and you don't do anything. Remember, too, the religious rulers had gotten so tied up with trying to catch people or trip them up that they had made rules on top of rules. So it got to the point where you really couldn't do anything on a Sabbath and get caught. I mean, it got to be almost ridiculous in some ways, right? You couldn't, couldn't bake, you couldn't cook, you had to be careful what you ate. And again, the fact that they just sifted their hands as they were walking and, and grabbed a handful is pretty, pretty mild, right? That's not really work, that's just, just, just serving yourself. Again, they weren't harvesting the field to sell in the market or anything like that. But again, these Pharisees are looking for any excuse to go after Jesus. And so they call him on it. And Jesus knows their heart. He knows the motivation behind it. And so he interestingly he answers them with an Old Testament story. Right? King David. David's, David's the, the, the best king they've had up to this point. David is, is their guy, right? Everything points back to David. You know, David was the number one at that point. Everything got referred back to him. Remember, if only they were like King David. And they know all the stories. They knew all the, the failings of every king after that. And so when Jesus points back to David, they're kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Kind of insults them a little bit. It pricks their heart a little bit. They said, but even David ate on the Sabbath. Again, and there's some irony here, and there's also some, some kind of kickback. Like, hey, here you are criticizing me, the king of kings. Again, they don't realize that yet. But your own king David did it, and you were okay with it. The hypocrisy, that's the word I was looking for. Hypocrisy in it. And as we know, this is just one of the many conflicts that come arise. So Mark, for us, gathers 
seven conflicts. And five of them have to do with the Sabbath, right? The, the one day, you're supposed to set aside, the one day that was special. And again, just also that was the one day that they were kind of in the forefront, right? It was their day, and they were the ones in charge of the synagogues and the temple, and so this was their day, and so they executed their authority most on that day. And so to find Jesus doing this upset them. And they think, oh, we've got him. Verse 27, as the story continues to unfold, it says, Then he said to them, This Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. This is a I gotcha moment, right? This is the flipping the tables, right? This is, hey, if you realize who I am, this is my day. It's really what he's saying here. Right? We made it for your rest because you need rest. And we can all arguably, we need a day of rest. Right? We need to set aside a time to, to take a break from our normal and to break up our routines and have that, that day of rest set aside. Interesting, even creation needs a day of rest. You know, the old agricultural um, would do that. They would give their fields a, a rest year even. I remember this story my dad told me as a, as a young kid. And again, I grew up in a small town in, in New England, and, and so the story goes, basically, there were two farmers. And one would work six days and, and rest his horses on the seventh. And the other guy that was competing with him, the other farmer, worked seven days a week and said, oh, no, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to be richer. I'm going to do better, right? Well, lo and behold, the horses, even though they could work seven days and continue on, didn't produce any more, and they actually died earlier than the farmer who gave his horses a rest. And that goes with many animals, but also even in creation. There's a purpose in having a day of rest. But when you get so legalistic about it that that becomes the focus, you can go awry. We see here the Pharisees did that. They became very legalistic. They were all about the rules. And they focused on that. That's just one of them. Here's another one in chapter 3, another instance where Jesus kind of shows them their foolishness in this and how they've gotten off track. They've lost the purpose for doing the Sabbath and for worship and for what we do even today. Just a side note here, at Pointway, we are anything but legalistic in our worship as things flex and move and change from a, a daily Sunday, right? We even, this morning, we even changed the order a little bit, and um, it gets changed all the time, different things change it, because, again, we realize that we allow the Spirit to change and move things, and things don't always go along according to plan. I learned something this morning about 911. I didn't, my 911 team. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what she was going with that. I learned it the same way you guys did. I liked the idea, but I had no idea that it was coming out. Um, and yes, that's my wife, and yes, she's still cute. So, All right, chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man, this is another Sunday, or another Sabbath, I should say. They, they celebrate on Saturdays at that point. But it says, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I love the opportunity here, right? And again, I want to give you a little more details. Mark bottom lines it really tight here, but it's an interesting story. It's, it's on another Sabbath, another Saturday. They're gathered in, a, in a, a synagogue, right? There's a group of people there gathering, and they had a, a form of worship service. And there's this man, and, and some have, have even looked into and think that maybe he was even planted. Like they, they were setting him up. They knew that if this man came, they knew Jesus was healing people, that this would be an opportunity to kind of trick him. But even if the man just showed up, the Pharisees were there. They, they were waiting to see what Jesus' reaction was going to be to him. And Jesus doesn't miss the moment. I love that in the story. He doesn't, doesn't miss it. He doesn't, doesn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to hold that off for today. Right, it's, there's too many here today. We're not going to do that. We're going we're, we're gonna, to, you know, we don't want to get them upset or we don't want to, you know, I can heal him later or I'll catch up with him later. No. In fact, he does just the opposite. He has him stand up in front of everybody. Right? Bring him right up front. Don't worry, Jesse, you're safe this morning. I'm not, not going to call on him. No. Right? He has him stand up in front of everybody. Like, hey, I'm going to show you. I'm going to, hey, right here, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to bring you right up front. Verse 4, and Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remain silent. Yeah, hmm, someone just caught that. It's interesting, right? He asked them the question, right? He flips the tables, right? Now he's put them on the spot. And he says, which is which is lawful, right? You just imagine it from their perspective. They're being called out, and they're, you know, they're the ones that are in charge of the law. They're the ones that have been dispensing it out, been going through it piece by piece, and they're the ones that have been tripping people up, holding people, quote-unquote, accountable. And so he, he asks them the questions. Simple question, right? But they remained silent. Right? You thought that would have been the opportunity, right? He gives them an opportunity. Hey, speak up. Right? You've got this man in front of you. He's got a withered hand. And they remain silent. Imagine what's running through their heads. Like, oh no, how do we answer this? This is it's a tough question. <laughs> right? Again, this is in front of everybody, and, and we don't want to be wrong. But it's a great question, right? To do good or do evil? To save a life or to kill it? It's a great illustration of what Jesus' purpose and why he was there, not only to heal people, but to show himself to them. Verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out completely, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I underline this in my Bible because it's one of the, the few times in, in Scripture, and we actually talked about it yesterday morning a little bit, but if you notice in verse 5, it says, He looked around at them in anger 
and deeply distressed. Jesus got angry, and one translation even calls it frustration, and my wife reminded me that frustration is just a form of anger, and so, um, and it's true. It is very true, right? But even Jesus had had enough. He was getting tired of the constant being watched, the constant, you know, questioning everything that he did. Now, amazingly here, he, not amazingly, because we know it's Jesus, but he doesn't sin, right? We have other scripture that talks about that, right? In your anger, do not sin. It's also the, the one in James, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We also see here his purpose, why he's getting upset with them. Calls them their stubborn hearts. Anyone here ever get stubborn? Good, I'm glad I'm not alone. Right. PJ and I, again, we have this joke, right? Of a, she says, I'm, I'm stubborn, right? And she just likes her own way. And so if you've been married, you'll get that. If you're not, you, you may, right? Same coin, just a different way of looking at it, right? But they're stubborn. They're, they're, they're refusing at this point to, to learn. They're refusing to accept Jesus for who he is. They're stubborn, stubborn hearts. And if we're not careful, we can be the same way, right? Again, there's, there's perseverance, but that's not the same as being stubborn. Stubborn can lead us to get deep-rooted, get our feet planted so hard, and we think we've been immovable. We're not teachable anymore, right? We think we've got it all together, we've got it all figured out, right? Or my way is the only way that's right. Whenever I say those words, I'm in trouble already, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? But Jesus is angry at them. This is not right. He doesn't want them to be there. I even think you see a little bit of Jesus' heart. And again, he, he doesn't want them to be where they're at. Jesus even came for them as well. Don't ever miss that. And again, we criticize the leaders greatly, but Jesus came for them as well. They missed the boat and they, their motives were wrong and they got off focus, but Jesus came for them just as much as he did for the apostles, for us, for everyone there. And like I said, I, I appreciate the fact that Jesus doesn't miss the opportunity, right? He just speaks the word, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. He just speaks the word, and the man is healed. Again, this causes a stir. This causes a great scene here. But then you see the stubbornness of the Pharisees' hearts, right? Instead of rejoicing, the man just got healed. I mean, if something like that happened this morning, I would hope that we would be praising and excited, right? It should bring about that, hey, this is great. No, instead, because of their stubborn hearts, they go out and start plotting the ways to kill Jesus. And ultimately, they do. We know that this is where this leads, right? They're motivated by this. Verse 7. Wrap up here in this last paragraph. Again, kind of showing the purposes. We've seen the, the conflict. We've seen what's been going on and the timing and everything. We see Jesus in verse 7 says, "...withdrew from his disciples to the lake." And a crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Adium, the regions across the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him 
to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with disease were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Again, we kind of see the purpose here, right? A little bit, right? Jesus is coming and he's, he's healing people. And again, because of the healings, he's drawing crowds. People are coming. People are coming to heal, to be healed, but they're also coming to see what he has to say. Right? Jesus didn't only come just and heal people. He came, obviously, to proclaim himself as the Son of God and to teach. And so this draws people in. In fact, so much so that he has to kind of get himself a little bit away because they're, they're, they're closing in on him. They're, they're, they're crowding him. Again, Jesus knows this coming, and so he has a boat prepared, right? So he can kind of get out a little ways. And if you've ever been on a boat, right, the, the water amplifies, right? And it also gives you a stage and puts, puts people on the shoreline so that he can speak to them. The picture here is probably even a bank, right? So it's, it's almost that amphitheater in nature. And so he's able to speak to more people. They're able to hear him more. He's also drawing people from other areas. We have that list here, right? They're, they're coming just to, to, to hear him, to see his healings. They're, they're bringing the sick. They're traveling at great distance, some of these folks. These are not just an easy walk. It's not, a, it's not convenient. They're coming a, a great distance to hear and to see what Jesus is going to do. Verse 11 here, it says, even the, the impure, evil spirits is what it's talking about. Right? He's casting them out. Evil spirits are people that have been tormented, people that have that in them. He casts them out. I think it's interesting, Mark does put in this little detail here. He says, when they come out, they says, you are the son of God. We know from other scriptures, right? Even the demons recognize who Christ is. What a contrast, Right? The demons do, but the, the religious rulers, the ones that are well-schooled, the ones that supposedly have it all together, they don't recognize him, right? The ones that have everything in front of them pointing to Jesus, they don't. They don't recognize who he is. And then verse 12, he says, gave the stories not to tell, right? It's a timing thing at this point. Jesus' ministry is all about a timing. He's, he's waiting for that perfect moment, right? He knows the cross is coming and there's a timing with all that and who's going to be reached and who's not going to be reached. And So that's why he tells them, right? The, the crowd's big enough, right? He's got more than enough people in front of him. And I'm hoping that you'll go on and read more about Jesus' walk. But as we're entering into that time of Christmas, it's it's great to kind of take a look at the other side of it, right? We celebrate Jesus' birth, and certainly that's important. I always like to say on Christmas messages, right? Christmas is a, a great day, but Easter's coming. And that's really what we celebrate, right? right? We celebrate Christ not only coming, but dying on the cross for us. We recognize him as the Son of Man, the Son that Christ sent on our behalf. And so it's a great lead-in, and again, certainly Thanksgiving is a good time to remember that as well and to be thankful. 
So we covered a lot this morning here on this. And again, just a couple of questions. You know, how is your, how is your Sabbath? How is your Sabbath? You know, where is your focus on the Sabbath? It's easy here this morning, certainly. You're here, you're, you're worshiping this morning, right? But, but how's your focus on your Sabbath, week in and week out? Who are you focusing it on? Right? What do you do on your Sabbath? Just some important questions to reflect on. Also, how is your heart? How is your heart? Could you be accused of having a stubborn heart? Not only in general, but just maybe in some area. Maybe there's some area that God's been working on you and you're kind of holding your feet, sticking in, right? I'm not going to give that up. I'll give you everything but this one area. How's your heart? Is it stubborn? And lastly, do you know who Christ is? Do you recognize him? Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, and I thank you for each and every person that's here today, Lord. And Lord, we are thankful for the gift of salvation that you gave us. Lord, we are thankful that you came to stand in our place. Lord, we not only need you for our salvation, Lord, but we need you continually. But help us not to forget that. Help us to continue to rely upon you. Lord, we do praise you. Thank you. I thank you this morning. And Lord, if there's some area that we are struggling with, that we are stubborn in, that you would break down those walls, that you'd soften our hearts, and that we'd hear your voice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.